1: Welcome to Australia on this day. My name's Michael Adams, and today we're going back to Friday the 21st of September 1973. That was the day that Gough Whitlam's government had all of Australia saying, I don't know much about art, but in response to the news that we'd just bought Jackson Pollock's masterpiece, Blue Poles, for the record-setting amount of $1.3 million. And that was $1.3 million of taxpayers' money. Hard-drinking Jackson Pollock revolutionized the American art world by moving it past Picasso with his abstract expressionism. His method, dubbed action painting, was to lay giant canvases on the floor and dance around them as he dripped, flicked and splashed paint in thick layers to channel his various inner rages. In 1949, Life magazine was asking, is he the greatest living painter in the United States? Many thought he was. Many more thought that what he did was less art and more like a dog's breakfast. In 1952, Jackson Pollock made a painting that stood 2.1 metres tall and nearly 5 metres wide. It was a mesmerising mass, or mess depending on your viewpoint, of red and yellow and white enamel and aluminium paint loops and splashes that were bisected by eight vertical dark blue pillars. At this time, Jackson Pollock wasn't giving his artworks titles, so this one was simply known as Number 11, 1952, as in the 11th painting he'd made that year. It wasn't until it was shown in an exhibition at a New York gallery in early 1954 that the painting was renamed, purportedly by Jackson Pollock, as Blue Poles. Blue Poles would be Jackson Pollock's last masterpiece, as he died in a car crash while drunk behind the wheel in August 1956. Blue Poles had originally sold in 1952 for $6,000, and that was then a record for a Jackson Pollock. After the artist's death, Blue Poles was sold to his friend, Ben Heller, who paid $32,000 for the work. On the other side of the world, in 1965, Australian Prime Minister Robert Menzies announced that we were going to have a national art gallery in the capital, Canberra. Two years later, his successor, Harold Holt, said the government was about to start building it. That wouldn't actually happen until 1973, after Gough Whitlam had come to power. To demonstrate that Australia wasn't a cultural and artistic backwater, but instead a major player on the world stage, Goff decided to buy a show-stopping piece of art that'd get people talking and attract visitors to the National Gallery when it was finally opened. In May 1973, the National Gallery's director, James Mollison, got wind that Ben Heller was interested in selling Blue Poles, which was still hanging on the wall of his New York apartment. Negotiations began and, in August 1973, the Australian Financial Review heard of the proposed deal and broke the news of the rumoured asking price. $2 million American dollars, which, in 1973, was $1.3 million Australian dollars. This would be the highest price ever paid for an American artwork. Jaws dropped all over Australia, not just at the amount of taxpayer dollars to be spent, but at what it was being spent on. This wasn't an old master, a Rembrandt whose classical figures and chiaroscuro could be admired by all. This was an abstract explosion of colour without appreciable form or coherence. But Goff Whitlam was determined. As the National Gallery couldn't sign off on purchases of more than $1 million, Gough's government had to approve the deal. And the Prime Minister embraced the controversy, authorising that the price be made public. The opposition was so incensed, it threatened to block supply. Yet Gough, who'd be mocked in one cartoon as Van Gogh, forged ahead. James Mollison went to New York to negotiate with Ben Heller, and on this day in 1973, the deal was done. In Australia, the opposition was furious, saying the purchase price was hugely inflated and it was an irresponsible expenditure, and that the money should have been spent on classical and or Australian art. Defending the government, the Attorney General, Senator Lionel Murphy, said as for Price, Ben Heller had recently rejected an offer of $1.2 million for Blue Poles, so the Australian people had gotten a good deal. As for the painting itself, he said, quote, Blue Poles has been described by experts as Pollock's magnum opus and a 20th century masterpiece comparable with Picasso's Guernica. Gough Whitlam, meanwhile, cheekily said that all the controversy had already made Blue Poles worth far more than the price the government had paid for it. His government's position took a hit when a journalist named Stanley P. Friedman wrote a cover story about Jackson Pollock for New York Magazine. The headline? Last Years of a Tormented Genius. The Untold Stories Behind Jackson Pollock's $2 Million Masterpiece. The article claimed blue poles had been created by Jackson Pollock and two of his artist mates during a drinking binge in which they'd walked all over the canvas. It turned out that this wasn't actually true. While they had started on the canvas this way, Jackson Pollock had later reworked the entire painting so that nothing of the other men's contributions remained. Not that it mattered. Australian newspapers had a field day. Sydney's Daily Mirrors front page on the 23rd of October screamed, Art by Sensation. Barefoot Drunks painted our $1 million masterpiece. On the 17th of December that year, Melbourne's Herald newspaper gave readers a chance to own their very own Jackson Pollock when it put the painting on the front page in glossy colour. The caption, Here it is for your wall, your Herald souvenir of Australia's controversial painting, Blue Poles. The headline asked, Would you pay $1.3 million for this? Thing was, you didn't have to because the Herald could be yours that day for just six cents. Australians would have the chance to see Blue Poles for real after it was brought to our shores in a protective crate on an ocean freighter in March of 1974. On Monday the 8th of April, the painting went on show, under heavy police guard, behind a rope and beneath a wax covering to protect it from vandalism at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. Daniel Thomas, the senior curator, said the purchase was, quote, the greatest thing that has happened to art in Australia. Artist Russell Drysdale offered this, quote, the whole art world was affected by Pollock, and this was one of his masterpieces. If you have a masterpiece, then it is priceless. How can you put a price on it? I also think the younger generation will endorse this view. The older generation didn't. Henry Hankey, winner of the Archibald and Sulman Prizes, said, quote, To me, this is not art. Some of the young people weren't into it either, including renowned art critic Paul Hogan, who was photographed holding his nose in front of Blue Poles. All the controversy led to a record crowd of 8,000 people queuing up the first Sunday to see what all the fuss was about. After Sydney, Blue Poles toured other Australian cities that year, boosting art gallery attendance numbers. In 1982, Canberra's National Gallery was finally opened, and Blue Poles took pride of place as the main attraction. Earlier this year, the painting underwent its first restoration when the National Gallery was shut down due to the coronavirus. The gallery is open again now, and visitors can see Blue Poles looking how it did when Jackson Pollock applied that last splash of paint back in 1952. Love it or hate it, Blue Poles has proved quite the investment. In 2016, it was valued at $350 million. And this led to Victorian Liberal Senator James Patterson saying if that was the case, it ought to be sold to reduce the national debt. In a big turnaround, given the Liberal Party's original opposition to acquiring the painting, Federal Finance Minister Matthias Cormann, who was three years old when we bought Blue Poles, proved that Russell Drysdale had been right about the younger generation because he shot down this idea saying, quote, It is a national treasure, and I can't see it being sold. I'm Michael Adams, and you've been listening to Australia on This Day. Just a note before I go, like many Australian podcasters, my shows are labours of love, mostly supported by money I earn from other work. For the next couple of months, I'll be juggling Australia on this day and Forgotten Australia with a full-time day job, so I'm going to do my best to keep producing episodes as often as I can. Thanks for your patience and for listening, and if you've got a moment and you'd like to help Australia on this day reach more people, I'd love it if you could leave a review and rating at iTunes. Catch you next time.